Shalom and welcome to Torah to the People, a podcast from Temple Israel in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm Rabbi Micah Greenstein. We hope you enjoy this selection of our sermons, classes, and conversations with inspiring people from across the Bluff City and around the world. My dear friends, week two following the massacre of more Jews in one day since the Holocaust ended in 1945, had Israel on the defensive for the horrific hospital explosion in Gaza fired from an Islamic Jihad missile while over 200 Israelis with everything from parentless children and Crohn's disease to diabetes and dementia languish captive in the Hamas state of Palestine with no outrage, no real outcry from the International Red Cross on the plight of the kidnapped beyond the two, thank God, from Chicago released today, but no international outcry following the unprovoked mass murder by their captors less than two weeks ago. As for the hospital deaths caused by the savage so-called health ministry government of Gaza, suffering and dead Palestinian women and children continue to be used as more fodder, not for the creation of a peaceful Palestinian state. The prolonged misery of the Palestinian people is used by heinous terrorists as more fodder against Israel's very existence. In this week's Torah portion, believe it or not, we learn why even in just wars, innocent people are killed, especially when the enemy bears a name appearing for the first time in the Bible in this week's Torah portion, depicted in the tapestry behind me and Rabbi Levi, Noah. The Torah reads, The earth became corrupt before God, meaning God deemed human behavior to be so vile, so brutal, so abominable, vatimale haaretz hamas. The world had become so depraved that the land was filled with hamas, which is why God sent the flood to the world in Noah's time to cleanse it as people saw nothing wrong with Hamas. Hamas is often translated as lawlessness, but in Hebrew, Hamas connotes bloodshed, falsehood, universal corruption, uncontrolled violence. The word Hamas appears later again in the book of Job, chapter 19, verse 7, and it literally parallels the absence of justice. Hain etzchak Hamas, the Ein Mishpat. I cry violence and I get 
no justice. When you read the entire Bible, it's clear that bloodshed drives God's presence further away from and not closer to humankind. That is why, in case you didn't know, God denied King David the task of building God's house, the temple. In the last book of the Hebrew Bible, Chronicles, God says to David, you shall not build a house for my name, for you have shed too much blood on earth in my sight. So the end goal of scripture is not a world of war, but a world full of as much peace as possible, a world wherein people of different faiths and backgrounds learn to live together peacefully and joyfully while maintaining their own separate, unique beauty and identities. However, as I wrote in What Do Our Neighbors Believe? Questions and Answers on Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, a book I co-authored a few years ago with two Rhodes College professors, Kendra Holtz and John Kaltner, the urgent pursuit of peace in Judaism is not equivalent to a position of pacifism. Jewish law distinguishes between different kinds of wars that merit different responses. A person is actually obligated to support a war of self-defense known as a milchemet chova or milchemet mitzvah. Why? Because the right of a person to preserve one's own life supersedes the claim of another person or terrorist to take that life. Every individual deserves the freedom to live in peace, as does every nation and community. And on that premise, Jewish law justifies a war of self-defense. Some wars in the Torah, like the battle against the evil Amalekites, were considered obligatory. While there are others, such as King David's wars, to expand Israel's borders, were not deemed obligatory. That kind of unnecessary war is known as a milchemet reshut. It's true that Jewish literature extols the virtue of nonviolence and minimizing death, even in the obligatory wars Israel has been forced to defend. It's crazy, though, that Israel may be the only nation in the world that has to defend itself for defending itself in tamping down the deceitful and devious claims that Israel drops random bombs on hospitals. And by the way, as millions of people take to the streets all around the world, they're not shouting in Arabic, death to Israel. They're shouting death to the Jews. What's taken for granted is the very notion, the evil, of shooting rockets behind the hospital beds of your own people, killing them and hating Israeli babies more than loving your own children. Among the hundreds of calls, emails, texts, and Zooms to and from completely shattered, devastated Israeli families, including peaceful kibbutzim, wiped off the face of the earth 
And amidst my prayers also for a dear Palestinian friend who is equally peaceful and whose beautiful family is presently trapped in Gaza. I realized during some of these calls and exchanges, I was talking to refugees. Whether refugees suffering under Hamas and Islamic Jihad in Gaza, or thousands of Jewish families like yours and mine who are still evacuated from the ghastly, gruesome, unspeakable scenes my Israeli friends and their friends witness with their own eyes and will never be able to unsee. Our Israeli Reform Rabbinic colleagues whose secular, music-loving, progressive congregants remind me of our own temple families, were the population disproportionately slain, brutalized, and kidnapped. Day after day, and for the foreseeable future, my Israeli friends and mentees, younger rabbis, I'm old now, they're either going to multiple funerals and shiva calls in one day, worried for their children and family members serving in the army, called up into emergency service, supporting Israeli evacuees, helping and housing those from the south and now the north too, whose homes have been hit or could be hit, is what our 54 Israeli Reform Synagogues align with this temple are doing 24-7, as well as taking care of younger Israeli children who have not been able to go to school or preschool. All this beyond the sending of care packages and supplies for soldiers as we pray, sing, and support one another. As the president of the Shalom Hartman Institute, Yehuda Kurtzer shared a few days ago from Jerusalem firsthand, quote, there is a cloud over this country, its people's visages visibly darkened by grief for what has already happened and with fear for what is yet to come. I have lived in Israel during many difficult and dangerous periods through intifadas, wars, the assassination of a prime minister, but there is nothing quite like the sorrow and horror that grips the country right now. It's also hard to shake the sense that things are about to get a lot worse. Hamas has always undermined Palestinian safety, but the costs have never been more extreme. He doesn't cite rabbinic literature, but he expresses the same fear I share in understanding the agony of a just wars when he writes, if North American Jews and friends of Israel from all religions cannot figure out how to stand with Israelis right now to determine the balance between solidarity and criticism among what is happening, I fear that we will pave the way for the deterioration of the long-term relationship between America and Israel to a point of no repair. The challenge we face is that the dominant moral instincts and biases that define liberals, progressives like me, including an abiding commitment to kindness, compassion, and peace, make it difficult for many to confront the sad and painful truth 
that Israel is fighting a just war based on a just cause, and that solidarity with the Jewish people and with our values means supporting this war against Hamas as awful as it will be. Our commitment to compassion should not become an obstacle to seeing that eradicating a word which means unbridled violence is essential to the world we want to help create, a world in which the safety and security of both Jews and Palestinians between the river and the sea is guaranteed for both. Just wars are not just because they're easy or victimless. Just wars, Kurtzer concludes, are just because they are morally necessary because pacifism in the face of an unfettered evil is an untenable moral position. There is room to dissent on strategy and tactics about whether Israel is fighting this necessary war the right way. There is even an obligation to criticize when there is demonstrated failure to abide by the ethics of war Israel itself has long agreed to. And there will be, as you know, plenty to dissent about and much to criticize later. But the victims of Hamas's evil and the inevitable killing of innocent civilians caught in their grip will continue to haunt us. And all the more reason to tell the story right now that is right and just, painful as it is to hear it. In Torah time, yes, we're in Noah, but in the next book of the Torah, we'll receive what's above the ark, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, where we are commanded not to murder or maim. You know, the Hebrew does not say lo taharog, do not kill. It says lo tirzach, do not murder. Do not do what Hamas did willfully, gleefully, barbarically to innocent babies, seniors, youth, even Arab Israelis brutalized beyond recognition. We learn something else, something very important, and a peculiar paradox this week in the Torah. The same God who favors forgiveness, as we were just forgiven on the high holidays, often does not forgive. God criticizes, condemns, and afflicts those who perpetrate evil. God holds people responsible. Cain sinned by killing Abel last week and was destined to become a wanderer for the rest of his life. This week's generation of Noah engaged with Hamas and a flood destroyed them all. The people who built the Tower of Babel sinned and they lost their power to communicate. The people who worshiped the golden calf were never permitted to enter the promised land. Over and over again, the Torah resounds with stories of accountability, of retribution, yes, divine punishment. It may sound almost hypocritical to hear God glorify forgiveness as, we, as an ideal way to act, and then most of the, or most of the time, ignore it in dealing with human beings. Something seems to be missing here because the Torah is not likely to contradict itself without a reason. The answer 
is that God's forgiveness is predicated on a condition regarding our human interactions with other humans. God demands that we acknowledge and renounce wickedness and evil behavior. A Jewish view of morality and forgiveness is not a readiness to make the ghastly torture and deaths of entire families the moral equivalent of those killed in a war to self-defend and stop evil. To equate the rape, torture, butchery with, of entire families with the deaths of innocence in a just war is cruelty to all the future victims of evil conduct that was not stopped before it can do even more harm. In the case of Noah this week, God drowns that entire wicked Hamas generation. But remember Yom Kippur in the book of Jonah? God saves all the non-Jewish people of Nineveh. They're not even Jewish. That's the power of forgiveness. In Noah's generation, the people destroyed by the flood were warned repeatedly, but they let Hamas continue. Jonah, on the other hand, warns the people of Nineveh that they are doomed if they continue the evil course they were on, but their reaction was different. They admitted their wickedness and embarked on a better way of life. And the Ninevites were indeed forgiven. God did not hold their past against them because their former behavior truly was a part of their past. I still believe in a two-state solution for the wonderful and beautiful, peaceful Palestinians and Jews as the only end game. And I detest the lumping together of Hamas with the beautiful Palestinian people I have known and loved throughout my life. But it is a moral travesty to condone or justify evil by refusing to distinguish between the thousands of Israeli victims of savage terrorism and the Gaza victims of a war started by the murderers themselves. In closing, as we continue our daily prayers for the peace and safety of the state and people of Israel and Gaza, when you leave temple tonight, if you're going out the everyday entrance, remember the sculpture and symbol over your head it's the dove from the Noah's story this week. Remember, the dove was set free from the ark, yet after the flood, you will recall, the dove returns, a sign of God's abiding covenant to never, ever abandon humanity if we are responsible, accountable, and good to each other. Just as the dove returns to Noah with an olive branch, a symbol that even after the flood of tears and sorrow, life can and life must go on, brimming with peace and blessing, so too must the light and love of those we have loved and lost inspire a better and brighter tomorrow than Hamas, the violent mayhem and madness that ended over 1,400 lives, so sadistically and needlessly, just two Shabbats ago. May the dove remind us of a better future. Amen.